0: Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, the life of 147 days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 8 through 10, Wednesday through Friday, May 23rd through the 25th, 2001. All the joy in my life has some connection to this wonderful city. Yes, most of LA is horribly disgusting visually and filled to the rim with whores, drug addicts, actors, and musicians screwing executives to get their 15 minutes of fame, but within that reel of facades and plastic exteriors is a wondrous beauty. I can't really describe it, but from my own personal experience of moving around as a child, Los Angeles and Southern California in general is the only place that possesses this greatness. People here are amazingly artistic and the various mix of cultures that clash brings a unique feel and vibe to every sub city in LA. Don't believe me? Just drive down Vermont or Sunset Boulevard. Adrian's journal entry dated February 24th, 2001. Note, Children's Hospital is located on the corner of Vermont Avenue and Sunset Boulevard. Before chemotherapy can begin, Dr. No orders a CBC, so he will have another baseline of how Adrian's body is functioning. Even though there are acronyms and numbers all over the page, four matter the most. Her white blood cell count, WBC, hemoglobin, platelets, and absolute neutrophil count, A and C. I am not a math whiz, but I am good at memorizing formulas. The acronyms and normal ranges for the four crucial counts become embedded in my brain. Since Adrian's blood counts are normal, chemotherapy will start at 10.30 a.m. as planned. Although Adrian's liver function AFP will only be measured every three weeks, her kidney function will be monitored for three consecutive days throughout her treatment due to the side effects of cisplatinum. Creatinine and BUN, blood urea nitrogen, are an indication of Adrian's kidney function. Those numbers are low, but according to her doctors, it's better to be low than high. Her bilirubin is normal, but both liver enzymes are high, which is normal for liver cancer patients. While John studies the lobes and functions of the liver, I focus on the numbers. I can't say aspartate or amino transferase or tell you what it does, but I know that number is too high, which is not what we want. A nurse walks in with a paper shirt and pants over her normal attire. With a mask over her mouth, she holds a bag of liquid as far away from her body as possible. There is a skull and crossbones on the label. When she hangs it on Adrian's IV pole, I stare at it. Are we making the right decision? This woman is dressed as if she is handling a nuclear weapon. I don't know what I expected. The chemo drug is liquid in a bag and labeled as poison. We have all agreed to poison Adrian in order to stop the tumors that are killing her. I want to yell stop, but we have no other options to win. Poison is the only choice. The bag of chemo reminds me of my own treatment for Graves' disease five years ago. Instead of surgery, my doctor opted for iodide therapy, which is a nice way of saying he used radiation to kill my thyroid gland. I remember showing up at the county hospital where a nurse came out carrying a large metal container with the same poison sign on it. After opening the container with her latex gloved hands, she told me to reach inside and get the plastic container. She wasn't allowed to touch it because it was radioactive, but I was expected to. I opened the container, without gloves, to find a small pill bottle holding two large white pills. Drinking a glass of water already prepared by a nurse do not touch. I swallowed the radioactive pills. I was not allowed to be around other people's food or children for three days. Adrian stayed with Anya and Alex while I took some sick days from my teaching and waitressing jobs. I felt nauseated at times, but the radiation didn't hurt. I missed Adrian though and couldn't wait for her to come home. Short term side effects of chemo include nausea, vomiting, hair loss, mouth sores, and low blood counts long-term side effects include heart damage kidney damage and hearing loss on this first day of chemo the vomiting worries me most i know adrian can handle it but i'm not sure i can as a former ballet dancer i tried to develop an eating disorder but i couldn't make myself throw up the one thing that makes me vomit is the sound or smell of someone else doing so in college i was never the girl who held a friend's hair while she regurgitated an evening of margaritas the first time I heard John vomiting in our bathroom after a night of excessive drinking, I could feel the bile coming up in my throat. I vow I will overcome my disgust and sensory reaction to vomiting for Adrian's sake. I don't know how, but I will find a way. Now that Adrian has been out of school for a week, cards from her classmates flood her room. Cindy Burns, Adrian's dance teacher, brings a giant three foot by six foot yellow banner signed by the Burbank High Dance Department. We tape it to the wall above the magazine photos of Nicole Kidman in her Moulin Rouge costumes. One class signed a large card with a chicken on it that reads, Hello, I'm the Gitwell Chicken. Another class made homemade cards out of construction paper. Even as the chemo is flowing into her body, Adrienne laughs at both the sincere and inane comments written by her peers. We joke about the spelling mistakes, especially when her name is spelled wrong. I don't even know some of these people, she says. Her comment makes me realize you don't need the right clothes, the perfect skin or the best body in high school. Cancer makes you popular. Rick Carlton comes by with good news. Adrian has been promoted to the 10th grade. She was only three days outside of the 21 day window allotted for medical emergencies. Adrian is excused from making up the three days worth of work because her teachers determined doing it would not change her current grades. With A's in French one, honors English, health and beginning dance, and two B's in honors biology and geometry, her 4.0 GPA remains intact. Rick suggests Adrian pass her driver's permit exam and do any other projects requested by teachers over the summer. With schoolwork out of the way, Adrian can focus on getting well. Although Ronnie told me not to worry about it, I do think about money or lack of it. My dad offered to help us out so our house bills will be paid. The medical bills are another issue altogether. Thanks to a loophole in the system, Adrian qualifies for Medi-Cal, California's free insurance program. She is considered a minor with no income because as her legal guardian, my income does not count. Through Medi-Cal, Adrian has Blue Cross HMO medical insurance, but they have already turned us down. The letter dated 5 is generic and sterile. Our utilization review analyst has determined that the services requested are not approved because your child is medically eligible for California Children's Services, CCS. According to its pamphlet, CCS is a statewide program that arranges and pays for medical care and therapy services for children under 21 years of age with certain health needs, and it may cover types of serious, chronic, and physically disabling conditions. Adrian is approved on May 23rd, her first day of chemo. The turnaround scares me. Blue Cross denied our claim, but four days later, CCS approved it. The state never moves quickly on anything. I wish I could say having the financial burden lifted off my shoulders made me feel better, but it does not. I am scared now more than ever. As this is Platinum continues making its way into Adrian's body, John and I learn how to give a nupogen shot, the one we heard about in our class yesterday. The shots increase her white blood cell count, which helps her body combat the side effects of chemo. Of course, the shot has its own side effects, fever, nausea, muscle aches, and bone pain. When Adrian learns about this new daily shot that cannot be administered through her central line, she frowns. She hates needles. Pay attention in class, sissy, she says, and don't hurt me. Another nurse on the floor is teaching the class. She brings in needles and an orange to practice on. She says the orange most closely resembles subcutaneous tissue, and the goal is an A and C of five thousand or more. First, we have to find a fatty spot in Adrian's thighs. The quads must be avoided because they have too much muscle. The syringe will be pre filled and the dose is based on Adrian's weight, which will change over time. I assume she means Adrian will lose weight, but I don't ask her. I focus on the fruit. Step number one, keep everything sterile. If the needle or syringe falls on the ground, get a new one. The needle is 5 eighths of an inch, size 25 or smaller. I don't know what 25 means, but the needle is tiny. I show Adrian, but she says it's still a needle. Step number two, pinch the skin while holding a piece of gauze between the index and middle finger of the pinching hand. With the other hand, push the medicine up until you see a bead at the tip of the needle. Aim the needle down so it forms a 45 degree triangle in relationship to the skin. Insert needle. Release skin as you push the medicine in. Use gauze and apply pressure to the injection site. Put on Band-Aid, but remove within 24 hours. Place needles into your sharps container provided by the home pharmacy. After trying this procedure multiple times, I am ready to give up for the day. The angle isn't right. I keep dropping the gauze and John forgets to check for the bead. Our teacher seems unfazed by our bungling. You'll get it, she says. It takes practice. The class feels like a dress rehearsal. Only when the show opens, we can't make mistakes. Adrian is an unforgiving audience. Adrian makes it through the first day of chemo without throwing up. We are all surprised. I expected vicious vomiting like the one time I remember her being sick as a child. She was two years old and without warning, chunks of oatmeal spewed out of her mouth. Non-stop for five minutes. Adrian feels tired, but she hasn't tossed her cookies yet. She promises not to pull a Linda Blair on us. Although she loves horror movies, The Exorcist spooked her when she saw the re-release last year. The puking didn't bother her so much as the backwards spider crawl up the stairs. That, she said with a shudder, was creepy. At 4 o'clock in the morning, Adrian wakes up feeling so nauseated she can't go back to sleep. A nurse gives her two tablets of Benadryl. Three hours later, she says, Sissy, I'm going to be sick. I grab the kidney-shaped bucket and prepare for the worst. I hold my breath so I won't smell anything, and I pretend I can't hear her dry heaves. Then it comes up, green, like Linda Blair, only it's broccoli and not pea soup. Phew, she sighs. I feel much better. That's it, I ask. I guess so, she says. I peer into the bowl. It looks and smells like broccoli. I smile. I can do this after all. On Grace's suggestion, I call the Social Security Administration to see if Adrian is eligible for any type of benefits. A friendly woman named Alice takes my call. I hear the click-click of her keyboard as she types in Adrian's Social Security number until she gasps, then silence. When I ask what's wrong, she says she can't tell me. Instead, she confirms Adrian's Social Security number, her residence, and my name and relationship to her. Click-click-click. It has something to do with our mother, doesn't it? I can't confirm that, ma'am, she replies. Her voice is distant, as if she is in shock. Don't worry, I tell her. You just did. Alice urges me to call back next week. She has to speak to her supervisor. Before hanging up, she tells me one last thing. She has two daughters. Their names are Andrea and Adrian. When I hang up the phone, I don't know what to think. I have no way of knowing. In a 10-minute conversation, I opened a Pandora's box. I tell Adrian about the phone call. Like me, she is not concerned about whatever caused Alice to gasp. She is more interested in the name of Alice's daughters, our names. What are the chances? We entertain the idea of fate. First, Adrian said, watch it be cancer, and it was. Then there's Ronnie and her cancer-stricken sister who call each other sissy. And now a stranger named Alice who has her own Andrea and Adrian at home. Adrian is becoming more convinced cancer is her destiny, but I refuse to accept that premise. Unlike most mothers whose children incubate in their bodies for nine months, my life as a parent started on December 19th, 1994 when an exuberant eight-year-old bounded off a plane and into my arms. The stewardess running after her laughed and said, "You must be her sister Andrea." Adrian chimed in, "Yep, she's my sissy." After flashing my driver's license, I took Adrian to baggage claim. I commented how light one of her suitcases was. She responded, "Oh, that one is full of my stuffed animals. They wanted to visit you too. Neither one of us knew it at the time, but Adrian's two week holiday visit to Los Angeles would turn into a permanent stay. The day after Christmas, our mother called and asked if I could keep Adrian for a while. She was tired, ill, and no longer capable of being a mother. She refused to tell Adrian the news herself. I was 22 years old, living with an alcoholic boyfriend, had little money and no job stability, but it never occurred to me to say no. It didn't take long before Adrian challenged me. Our mother had let her run wild the last few years, so Adrian was used to doing whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. When the staff at a local restaurant sang happy birthday to her, she screamed. Then she melted down like a two-year-old pitching a temper tantrum, only she was nine. My boyfriend Dan and I carried her out by her arms and legs. I was convinced people were going to call social services on us. I could tell by the wary look on his face he wasn't going to last much longer fatherhood was not on his agenda I sent Adrian to her room which had been Dan's office when I walked in to discuss her behavior with her she was still thrashing her body around yelling she hated me and why did i make those people sing to her i grabbed her arms and pinned her down i even slapped her forearm to get her attention it worked you live here now my house my rules you do not make scenes in public understand oh yeah I'm moving back to Alabama, she said. I may have stopped her body from moving, but I couldn't do anything about her mouth. I don't like you. I don't want to live with you. I want my mother, and I want to go home. I looked into her fiery green eyes and wondered if I should tell her the truth. Mother was caught shooting up morphine at work. She lost her nursing license, and that's why she can't get a job. Or you have no home. No one in Alabama wants you. I said none of those things. Instead, I called her bluff. I released her arms, walked over to the desk, picked up the phone, and dialed 411. May I have the toll-free number to Northwest Airlines, please? Adrian watched me in silence as I proceeded to make a reservation in her name for a flight out the next day to Birmingham. I pulled out her two suitcases. Start packing, kiddo. Are you taking your stuffed animals or should I mail them to you? She glared at me, crossed her arms over her chest, and refused to say anything as I walked out of the room. Meanwhile, I was in the living room hoping I had done the right thing. I knew this moment was a turning point. She had to accept me as an authority figure or this arrangement would never work. I heard her moving around in her bedroom, shuffling something, slamming something else. What would I do if she packed her things? I waited. It took almost an hour, but Adrian finally came out. She stared at the ground. Okay. I want to stay. Don't send me back. thank God. I thought to myself, I don't have the money anyway. Here's the deal. I'm your parent first, then your sister, and when you get older, I hope to be your friend. Got it? And one more thing. Don't ever threaten me again. All right, sissy. Parent, sister, friend. Got it. Ronnie brings in two baby dolls to teach Johnny how to change the dressing on Adrian's central line. One doll is a white female child with no hair. The other doll is a black male child with a full afro. How politically correct. Adrian nicknames the boy the Eli doll because Eli has thick bushy hair that would stick up straight if he let it. One nurse routinely pulls Eli's hair to see if it's real. Both dolls have tubes coming out of their chest with a dressing of gauze around the exit site. The dressing has to be changed twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. It is much easier than giving the Nupogen shot. The hardest part is remembering all the steps. Number one, remove the old dressing. Do not touch it or pull the catheter, i.e. the central line. Number two, take the alcohol swab stick, a Q-tip soaked in alcohol and clean the catheter site. Start where the catheter comes out of the skin and work outward in a circular motion. Repeat with second swab stick. Never go back over the same area with the same swab stick. Step number three, repeat step number two with the betadine swab sticks. Allow the betadine to dry for 30 seconds. Step number four, take the four by four large gauze pads and place them over the site to soak up excess betadine. Step number five, take two by two small gauze pad and fold it in quarters, place it over the exit site. Step number six, take out the tagaderm a clear adhesive strip. Peel off the back and place the sticky side on the skin. Peel off the frame around the edge of the Tachyderm. Step number seven, take a two inch piece of tape and tear it halfway in the center. Slip the tape under the catheter and overlap the split edges. Step number eight, make a loop with the catheter and secure it with tape. Ronnie suggests we store our supplies in a tackle box to keep them clean and in one location. On Monday, one of us is going to change Adrian's dressing under her supervision. I nominate myself, since I'll be doing it more often than John will, but he insists he get his chance too. John has to prove himself as a parent because he feels I get more respect than he does. Also, he needs to be recognized as Adrian's father because he failed his own son, Adam. Several years ago, Adam's mother took John to court and sued him for formal child support, as well as legal custody. She had gotten married and had another child, thus John didn't fit into her new perfect family. Until the suit, they had no legal arrangement regarding Adam. John had paid child support every month, usually in cash. Adam had visited him every weekend. Even though Adam's mother lied in court about receiving child support and sending Adam to visit his father every weekend, John backed down and gave in to her demands. Now we only see Adam every other weekend and John's relationship with him is strained. His constant insecurity is exhausting, especially when Adrian has stated John is the only father she has ever had. For her 15th birthday last month, John bought Adrian a bass and an amp. In one month he taught her major and minor scales as well as chromatic exercises. When her hands blistered, she became excited and showed John. That's how you know you're getting somewhere, he said. She asked John to take her bass home when too many people played it in the hospital. You understand, she said. He did. I wish he would trust Adrian's love for him. She calls him Johnny. The brightest spot of John's day is when he returns home from work. Adrian is usually lounging in her favorite chair and doing her homework. However, when John walks through the door, Adrian stops, grins, and greets him. Hey, Johnny boy. The tone in her voice should be enough for him. End chemo. Round one is over. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson-Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.